Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Real with Jordan and Demi in Los Angeles. It's Jordan Edwards in Los Angeles as well. Now, Demi Ramos, what's going on? And what's today up? we've got G-Love. You got a new album coming out um, and you got a new single, Love From Philly. First of all, I start off with a new single. You had uh, one of your idols on here, Schooly D, dropping some, dropping some rhymes. So how did that whole thing come together? Have you guys known each other for a long time? Yeah. Um, hey, hey, uh, hey, guys. Thanks so <laughs> much for having me. And um, yeah, I was just t- to the point with Schooly D, I just was, to tell all the listeners out there, I just got stuck with an emergency dad duty. So um, we have a we have a small we, co-star in we have, the. We ended so up cute. So forgive me, you might hear some some toddler action. But uh, just to that point, actually, schoolies, my older son Aiden, and I can't remember. I almost want to say his his daughter's name was Jordan, but schoolies' daughter and my older son, hey, they used to play together. And um, so I, I've known Schoolie for years and years and being in Philadelphia, um, you know, I grew up uh, kind of listening to Power 99 FM uh, Friday nights. Lady B hosted this program called Street Beat with Lady B. And that was the first time we all heard all the underground hip hop, including Schoolie D. So I've been a fan of his since I was, you know, in, in uh, high school. Um, so it was just awesome to, to, to get, to get him in the studio. So yeah, we're, we're buddies and, uh, and I'll never forget what he said when, when he came in the studio. Cause he goes, if I can just be this, if I can just be Schooly D for 15 minutes, I'm going to nail this track. <laughs> I was thinking about this morning. He, he really like gets into this character. Um, his real name is Jesse Weaver. Um, but then he kind of transforms into this, you know, superhero who we know as MC Schooly D. <laughs> is there a separate character between Garrett and G Love? Do you did you ever think of G Love as like a character? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and uh, it I, I've always felt like that same kind of thing. Like when you, and that's why I've always kind of like when I get on stage, I have like you know stage clothes, and they they've changed over the years, anything from like, you know, Adidas track suits to like, and, and hip hop stuff to like, you know, three piece suits to polyester thrift store stuff. Um, but it's always been a process of like, you know, making a transformation between like regular life and then jumping on stage where you get that, that ability to really like, you know, be this character, be this, 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 um, this force and be something part of yourself but something different than you are kind of in in every day and, and i think about um one time i got to see uh dead and co and um my wife kelsey one of her girlfriends was friends with bobby weir so we got to go backstage between the sets and talk to bob and bob kind of no one even asked him about it he just started talking about it. he says you know what what the grateful dead is it was is like they're like an opera right and so what he's doing is going into character 
every night and playing the roles of these songs and this music. And he said, when, when, when everybody's up there and can really get into that space where you are putting on that kind of opera show in character, then that's when the real magic happens, which is, which is pretty unique. I think a lot of musicians share that, you know? Dimmy, do you have that same kind of feel? Dimmy's, Dimmy's in a band and we were just talking yesterday about how different Dimmy feels. She goes on stage and, how that how that vibe is uh definitely there's something that i read this article in like fourth grade actually mm -hmm. fourth where, grade. yeah where they talk about duende in re in reference to performing and there's like a certain kind of moment where you just kind of let go and there's a, there's a, a magic that happens um when a performer just kind of like for like almost forgets that anyone's around but it's, you know, mm. they call it duende. Um, it's, it's a Spanish term. But I actually wanted to know, what was it like having a band in the 90s? Like, can you bring us back? Because, like, Rock is having a moment right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But, like, that's not the real, you know, this is not, like, the real deal back in the day, CBGBs or whatever. Can you tell mm. us about that? Yeah, I mean, um, well, we actually played CB. We played CBGBs and we played... They had a pop-up shop, which is now at the what what is is John Barbados store down there on the Bowery. If you know that, that was called CBGB's Gallery, and that was where we did our uh, showcase to get our record deal. But wow. and then later after we were signed, we did we did play CBGB's, and uh, that was um, yeah a lot of the iconic clubs. But you know, like you know, what was it like being a band in the nineties? I don't really know because we were just like. It was just so full on. And I'll tell you what it was like. It was like we were in a van mm -hmm. just going coast to coast. And if you wanted to call home to your mom or your girlfriend, you had an AT&T. I remember my, my, when I signed with Epic Records, they gave me like a free AT&T calling card. So nice. I just call. And free so phone you, calls. Yeah. So you basically go 1-800-CALL-AT&T. Right. And then you have to put in your calling card information and then you could call what? pay phone. So, yeah. So it was like if you did have a girlfriend, you know, <laughs> no way of knowing what she was doing while wow. you were away or what you were doing while she was away. So it was wow. just like, and, and I think about things like things we take for granted now, like, you know, navigation or whatever. Like, how do we get anywhere? Like I have with maps, we had maps, like a book with the maps. Yeah. So it's like the city map. So you had to find like, you know, where's the independent or where's the Fillmore in San Francisco? Well, it's uh, so, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was, so it was a lot of that, like off the grid kind of stuff. And it was, um, I don't know, man, it was just a lot of shows and, yeah, I mean, I guess it was it was some kind of time, you know, and it was um, and like Jordan was saying earlier is like there was so much different kind of music that was happening. And that is kind of something that was interesting, right, because anything was going like yeah, the squirrel nut zippers and all the swing, swing dance stuff was big. And we were doing this alternative hip hop. Music was kind of like becoming this big soup um, where all the, the lines kind of were crossing. And, and I think that's what you see now uh, is that now nowadays all the lines have been crossed. Right. You see at the country music, you know, awards, they there's like hip hop and mm. at the MTV awards, there's country. And, 
country has hip hop and mm. hip hop has country and all these lines have been blurred and crossed, which, which is kind of, you know, the, the goal of music. You know? I, I wanted to bring this up at the beginning, but I, I um, I'm a, I'm a video producer and I, I do music videos and stuff like that. And the very first video I ever made, I um, did a, uh, a family movie of our family camping trip down in the Ozarks of Missouri. And I set it to a G love song for like the family to see. Yeah. Um, it what was, song? what song? it was, it was deep cut. It was um, Sarah's song from electric mile. Cause oh, it, wow. it's a very like bluegrassy, like laid back acoustic kind of country kind of sounding song. And it just fit the, the camping vibes perfectly. But so you, you've been, you've been with, you've been with me through my whole uh, voyage as a, you know, in the back of my mind when it comes to music and, and sound. That's one thing. To, have you, you've done, see, I know you've had music on commercials and stuff, but have you ever gotten involved with like doing soundtrack for, for a TV show or anything like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually. Um, well, I was going to say like, that's another difference, like in the nineties Demi. Cause like if, if I would have seen, if, if Jordan was making that video now, I would have reposted it, you know, but I never even got to see it now. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like for family viewing only. You right. know? But yeah, actually we had, um, we had yeah, I mean, one of the calls we got was to be the band uh, for uh, Ben Stein's um, second show, which was just um, a Ben Stein show, which was kind of his like couch talk show. And so we were the house band on that. And they filmed the whole season in two weeks in L.A. And um, so I was staying up at the Rock and Roll Hyatt there on Sunset. And just going to work every day, being the house band, which was, wow, that was like a challenge and really uncomfortable for me. Uh, I was kind of, I don't know, more, maybe just more shy or something And when I was a little younger. And I didn't like that whole thing where like, you know, you're the band, but you also have to like banter with the host because. Yeah, the Paul Schaefer role. Yes. Yeah. I, I wasn't comfortable with that. And I frankly, I didn't like Ben Stein. I thought he was kind of an ass. Oh, really? <laughs> Hot take on Ben Stein. Didn't, didn't expect that this morning. But but my, my drummer, Jeff, was awesome at it. So him and Ben Stein would end up doing the, the dialogue. But yeah, that was – I'd like to do it again, you know. I think, I, think I, I think I'd be better at it now. Yeah. Well, whenever we – you know, people make talk shows all the time, so you never know. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> you have uh, this. First of all, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but um, you have a new album out in. Is that coming out soon? I guess. Yeah. Um, actually, the, the the new record's called Philadelphia, Mississippi. Right. And the 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 theme of the record is kind of the, the pilgrimage of the hip hop blues you know, from Philly down to Mississippi, the heartland of the blues. Uh, we were joined by a lot of really cool uh, special guests, uh, both like emerging younger generation blues men and women and some old timers as well. It was really just a uh, special uh, recording project. Um, so yeah, th that actually on 420, the uh, pre-order just came out. And the record drops on June 26th, 
And actually, the record's dropping as an NFT as well on the Yellow Heart platform. Oh, my goodness, NFTs. Are you into, like, that whole world? Yes. Yes. Oh, God. It's like everyone's talking about it. And I still don't. I'm like, okay, so you make a picture of a monkey. <laughs> and then, like, graphically. And then I'm supposed to buy that monkey? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely like an addiction, but yeah, I, I, I kind of got into the crypto, um, you know, into Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and in 2017, when there was the massive upswing of Bitcoin. Oh, did you, did you catch, did you like, did you get it? Yeah, on, like, did you ride the wave? Well, no, I, I bought it at the peak right then. Some, I mean, I, not a lot. I, you know, I threw, I don't know, hundreds or some small denomination of thousands of dollars at it. But I, the important thing was I got in. And then I kept kind of putting in drips and drabs when it kind of was in the bear market for a while. So, yeah, then, you know, right at the beginning of COVID, it really took off again. And so that was kind of exciting. And, you know, uh, my tour manager, for instance, he retired from the road because he invested like you know, 7500 bucks into some DeFi stuff in the beginning of the pandemic. And he's, you know, he's he's made enough that he, he quit his day job off $7,500. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There, I heard a story about a guy who put like, I really don't know the numbers, but put some uh, money into crypto and lost like a hard drive. Mm. It got to be like half a billion dollars. Like, right. yeah, and yeah. they go out of the dumps oh. and they like, yeah, try to and he's like looking them. for it to this day. Like he's like, yeah. you know, like looking for it, but okay. There are, seven albums made with special sauce over many years uh, and okay i wanted to know amongst bandmates what happens um with decades of success and kind of like growth and you know i guess i'm i'm sure like like everyone there's setbacks in any kind of career like what happens to the dynamics of band members um amongst so much years of you know, making music with each other? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Demi. And I mean, for us, like, it started, you know, it started like the minute we got signed um, because it went, because I signed. So we were a trio. Yeah. And, you know, to be clear, that was that was the proper way it should have gone down um, because I was doing all the work, like, off the stage, you know, putting flyers, making flyers. Yeah investing in the van, you know, leading the band, blah, 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 and the primary songwriter. Um, but basically, um, you know, my son's attacking with a, a lightsaber. Um, so you signed as like a solo artist with a backing band? Was that the situation you signed Epic? Yeah, I signed, even though we were a band, G-Love and Special Sauce, I was mm -hmm. the only one that signed a contract. That, that led to us like keeping the band together for a long time because it wasn't uh, a democracy. However, it was, um, did I lose you guys? No. no, we're here. We can do camera one, camera two, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the minute that the money came into play, cause we were street musicians and then we were a bar band and we were broke and we were living on the fringe of society. And then all of a sudden we signed with Sony records, which is and it basically one of the biggest corporations in the world. You know what I'm saying? So the minute the money came into play, you know, the vibe started getting messed up and, and infighting started. 
So by the second record, after we did the tour for Coast to Coast Motel, you know, we mm. broke the band up, or I broke the band up, and wow. went back home because it was too much negativity. But that being said, you know, we came back together, and even the solo records that just say G level on them, the truth is that a lot of most of those records are special sauce records. I just called them G level records. What about like in terms of how do you deal with with different egos mm. and personalities? You know, yeah. saying, like, such as I mean, your and after that first album, like what caused that split? Here you go, buddy. On my phone, like that. I'm trying to get my phone. Here you go. Take that. Here, give me the lightsaber. Can I hold that. Thank give you. me the lightsaber. I'll trade you the lightsaber for the phone. <laughs> oh my god! Don't buy. You guys probably. I don't know if you have kids or not, but don't buy presents for parents that make noise <laughs> that's oh, what i yeah never buy yeah absolutely good, that's a good tip um but yeah like um yeah but we the three of us jim jeff and i had very different personalities you know very different people and um oh my dear and uh it was you know we were like we're like oil and water off the stage but on the stage in the studio we share like a really amazing chemistry that's that there's, it's undeniable. It was undeniable from the very first rehearsal and it's still undeniable, you know, almost 30 years later. But, um, but that, that is part of it, like managing people's personalities. And Demi, you're in a band, you know, like, and you, you, you suffer a musician. It's mm -hmm. like musicians are just weird people. Oh, hell yeah. They have to be because yeah. in order to get that proficient on your instrument, you have to spend a lot of time alone, right? In your room. That's and true. then of course you, most people are like, they don't want to work. That's why they're going into music. So you have a certain amount of like flakiness and just, I don't know, just, uh, but also passion and hard headedness and a lot of things that make it difficult and a lot of different personalities, like to be a front man or woman, or, you know, to get up there and spill your guts every night, you have to have a certain amount of ego. So there's a huge amount of, ego and creative people and um and that's that's man that that's it like if that's it managing that and finding how to keep those type of people together is everything and then you know it's that's it's you could watch vh1 you know rockumentaries all day long and everyone's has the same everyone mm -hmm. to figure that out you know whether it's like fleetwood mac or the rolling stones and then you then you know everyone said well fuck this i'm gonna go do my own shit mm -hmm. and then well look you know, Mick Jagger never had a, a he had a couple of okay hits as Mick Jagger, but you know, everything is with the stones. I want to talk about your guitar playing. You have a kind of your signature guitar style is sort of bluesy, sort of folky, and also kind of percussive because as a trio, you had to play both lead and rhythm guitar on stage. And so how did you develop that sort of percussive? blues hip-hop guitar sound where you're just kind of like i don't even know i don't want to tr i'm trying i want to impersonate it but i know it'll do i'll do a poor job of impersonating it impersonate it jordan he's like like, <laughs> like you just kind of do that sort of like half half strum half you know it's 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 kind of a a hybrid rhythm guitar lead guitar sound with like that blues thing but you also be rhythmic because you you could do that kind of hip-hop flavored music where you kind of rap over the guitar so how did you kind of find that guitar sound that you were looking for? 
Yeah, man. Thank, thank you for um, kind of recognizing that. Was that was such a music journalist question. <laughs> like, how did you find that strummy version <laughs> of the guitar sound? Well, no, man. I, I really appreciate the question because um, it's something that I was is really important to me. And it started like it's kind of re, I've, I'm always kind of like reactionary person in general. But like um, so I started off really influenced by the Beatles and Bob Dylan. Right. Mm -hmm. And I at a young age, started playing harmonica and got the harmonica holder. So Bob Dylan. Right. And and Neil Young. And and in, in the 19. 86 or whatever in my high school everyone's rocking the cure and, and the beginning of hip-hop and i'm like getting into this folk music and and uh folk rock and so that was pretty unique in my high school but then when i started writing songs and going to open mic nights oh shit other people have heard of bob dylan too you know what I'm saying? so for me I, I had to flip the script and um so i went to this this music this awesome record store in philly called third street jazz and rock and uh, i said is there any record that has one man acoustic guitar um you know solo performance with the harmonica rack other than bob dylan and neil young they they gave me this record by this guy john hammond called country blues and um i went home put the the put the vinyl on my turntable and the first side was like him uh, doing his rendition of um, State Sparrow Blues, a song which the Allman Brothers later made famous. And that was such a, it was like the sky opened up and it was like this epiphany, like the light shone down and showed me, and I, and I knew from that first note, I was like, that's the sound. And the sound was, you know, one man, acoustic guitar, not just strumming like with a flat pick, you know what I'm saying, like playing lead and rhythm and riffs and percussive strumming um, all at the same time while singing and playing a harmonica. And later I got to see John Hammond play live and forget about it. Like he, his facial expressions and it's like this way his foot's stomping, kicking up dust. It's like a human tornado. And, and that was it. So, so basically all of my, and the way he would play his harmonica rack, like he'd be, it wasn't just like he was breathing in and out. He was playing single notes and bends and rhythm and, and all this really complex stuff that you wouldn't think you could do like on the holder. So, so to me, it was like, oh, that was my blueprint. And the other part of it was that both John Hammond and Bob Dylan, well, I could talk about this forever, who happened to be best friends in the early 60s, they both made their first record in 1962 when they were both 20 years old. Um, so I was 17 when I got hip to John's record and I, you know, read the liner notes on the back and I said, well, shit, I got three years, you know, to make a record. So there was, so there was that, but immediately I started delving into that Delta blues style. And then that really separated me from everybody at the, at the open mic nights. Just the fact that I was not using a, a flat pick, I was using like a thumb pick and two finger picks. Um, and playing a harmonica different. So it just comes back to one of my my main things that people say, oh, do you have any advice for like, you know, up and coming musicians? I said, well, the main important thing is like, be original. You know what I mean? Like you don't even have to be good. If you're original, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And have something to say that, that that's everything, you know? Cause there's a million people that can play and sing their ass off 
and aren't going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? And then there's people that make the big time, and you're like, how they can't even play? Well, I mean, the Sex Pistols couldn't even make a chord hardly, you know, or, or like, uh, <laughs> you know, like you look at any of those punk rock bands, are like, um, what's um, London calling? Um, the Clash. The Clash. Like they talk about it all the time. They're like, we couldn't even play. You know what I mean? But they yes. have an original. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know Harvest Moon, the Harvest Moon record by Neil Young? Oh, yeah. 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 Do you like that record? Oh, I love that record. Yeah. Is that one of your favorites? Yeah. I mean, I, I Neil Young, um, I mean, my, 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 I think my favorite Neil Young record probably is um, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere with, uh, you know, Down by the River and the title track and, and Cinnamon Girl. I'm a big Russ Never Sleeps fan. Okay. I, yeah, that's another great I love, yeah. yeah. Love that. And, and like on Russ Never Sleeps, that's a live record, right? Yeah. And like half half of it's acoustic or half of yeah. it's like stripped down, half of it's electric. Yeah. And then he says, and then it's like, you never forget when he's talking about, when he's singing Sugar Mountain, he says something about like, you know, getting high and the crowd's <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 How do you feel about kind of how music's changed over years? Um, going from buying CDs, buying records on vinyl to CDs and, you know, the streaming world, did that affect how you wrote songs? Because one thing, for example, like known is like the first five seconds in the streaming world is like the most important thing. It can like, mm -hmm. people have such um, short attention spans that it's not like you go out, you buy a CD, you invest in a CD, now you're listening to every single song 10 times over a week it's like you can just switch to the next song and it doesn't really cost you anything so how that did that change your songwriting anyway uh for better, for better or for worse not yeah. really and i was talking about that with someone like you know also for better or for worse i'm 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 kind of like i feel like i'll as far as like making records i'll i'll be forever like stuck in the art of like making records of, as opposed to like making singles you know like, of course, like every songwriter every songwriter tries to like make a hit with every song because that's how good at writing a song makes you feel uh, and you think it's a hit but uh in reality you know the cream will always rise to the top um but yeah i mean it's i think it's something that i don't know i feel like you know i, I feel like i just just continuously try to like make music from the heart and make music that's like truly inspired. And, and, and that, and when I write a song that there's a reason for it, and it could be a really simple reason and it could be a really profound reason. It could be happy it could be political or it could be sad or it could be, you know, com complainative. Um, but it's always like really real what I'm feeling. So I haven't really tried to, yeah, I mean, yeah. So for better or for worse, I don't. I haven't really thought about that as the songwriting process. Like, well, this is going to be streaming, so I've really got to connect in the first couple of seconds. But because in reality, like, music's always been like that. Like, right? It, it has to connect in the first couple. It has to connect. Period no matter what platform you listen to or people are going to, you know, fast forward over it or turn the record or put a different record on. So that that's, that's always been part of it. But, but yeah, maybe to your point, maybe it's more severe. Now people have a shorter attention span and I don't know, a lot of the new generation, 
they didn't come up, you know, holding a record necessarily and looking at the album art, feeling it. You know what I mean? Treasuring it. Yeah. Kind of. Because even like, right. Because even like the CD generation, Mm -hmm. that still will come with like a sick ass pamphlet. You know, you'd have a book with your CDs in it. And now, you know, it's just, you know, you got your, you got your phone. That honestly was like part of the, one of the best parts about CDs is you had the, the, the booklet was just a nice little, it was literally a booklet instead of holding out an accordion thing for a tape liner notes. You could just, it was literally, you just flip it open. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So you're on tour this summer. You're doing a tour with uh, dispatch. No AR. I guess like in July, have you, you used to do festivals. Do you still do festivals, especially the summer coming up? You got you. That's still pretty big for you. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, festivals are the greatest thing ever when you get in, um, get invited to play festivals. So yeah, we, we play festivals and play as many as we as we can get our get. Uh, our, I think one of our big ones this summer is the Peach Music Festival, which is yeah you know, pretty pretty has become pretty big jam band festival in Scranton, PA, home of the Office. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's a bunch of other festivals. There's so, you know, that's a good thing about festivals that there's so many mom and pops, smaller festivals around and continuing to be more and more. So that's awesome. Um, and of course the festival culture in the U S kind of, it took Bonnaroo to come along to show that it, that, you know, 50 or a hundred thousand American kids could get together and not destroy the place because they've been doing it in Europe since the sixties. Like they never stopped, you know what I mean? In the U S that that shit was like over. Um, So yeah, festivals, what I like to say about festivals that like, you know I'm saying? Like you have um, this wonderful opportunity to play in front of, you know, your fans, but also turn on a lot of new people that are there for everybody else. And then the other fact that there's so many amazing that your peers are there, you know what I'm saying? And they're, you got to bring your A game. So we have a, a saying called festival rules, which is just that, like bring your A game, you know, play the hits, just pull out all the stops, whatever tricks you got as a performer, you know what I'm saying? Like you pull it all out and you do you show everything you got. How do you feel about being part of the jam band community in a way, jam band adjacent, I guess you'd call it. Uh, because I, I don't consider Gila and Special Sauce to be a jam band at all, even though you do solo frequently and stuff. I don't put you in the same category. Um, yeah, the, we've, we've, it's, it's another thing about our, our whole career. We've kind of been on the fringe of all these scenes. Like we were, they, no one's never know where to put us. Like in the beginning, they were putting us with all the hip hop acts, but wow. that was different. And then, um, yeah, and then we, we got, an opportunity to tour with widespread panic. Um, it was widespread panic, uh, galactic government mule and us. And, um, that was, we, we had, we had a lot of, you know, acceptance and also, you know, no from the jam band community. It's, it's been a challenge. You know, the jam band crowd is very, very discerning kind of a critical crowd in a lot of ways if you go on any sites and you know whether it's the dead or dead and co or dave matthews or widespread panic everyone's talking about the shows and were the shows good and 
did they pull out this or what songs do they play? Um, so, you know, we've always kind of been on the fringe of the jam band world and, it, and, and it's been really super beneficial. And I wish kind of that we had geared ourselves more towards the jam band thing, but I, I always, my, my, my like music, you know, my, my team, I think was my biz, music business team was always kind of hesitant to, to put us too much into the jam band world in the nineties and early two thousands, because at that time people were selling records, but jam bands weren't selling records. Right. So fish was selling out stadiums, but they couldn't sell a record. Right. Yeah. So your record label would be like, and same thing with widespread. So they'd be like, well, no, we don't want you to go with them because we want you to sell records. Wow. You know, we don't, we don't want you to give your music away to tapers because we want people to buy the records, you know what I'm saying? But in the long haul, it was just terrible strategy and planning. And I'm assuming even though you're, you're, you're releasing music solo, there's still so special sauce is still out there, right? You still, there's some kind of special sauce. You're just kind of going back and forth. Yeah. Well, you know, like during the, it, you know, we, yes. Long story short. Yes. Like even the, like I said earlier, even the solo records, G love records, a lot of them, I just felt like, for instance, like G love, the hustle. I felt like that sounded better than G love and special sauce, the hustle. I've always struggled with like <clears throat> wanting to either call my band just special sauce or just G love, you know, and uh, it's, uh, so, you know, and sometimes, you know, G love and special sauce, is such a mouthful. Yeah. Like this is going to be called just, but yeah, Jim and Jeff have played on, on actually all my records, except for the last two, uh, which was the Grammy nominated, the juice, which Kevmo did. And then this new one called Philadelphia, Mississippi, which Luther Dickinson from the North Mississippi all-stars produced, um, I yeah. feel like the juice, your previous album, the juice, this, this new album, the way it's described, you know, I haven't heard the whole thing, obviously, but it feels like it's kind of a companion to the juice because the juice had a lot of those um, blues based guests. You had Robert Randolph on there. Do you feel like, are these kind of companion albums in a way? Yeah, it, it's certainly, um, you know, like for me, I've kind of, um, and it's nothing, nothing new, but I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've kind of, myself and like kind of growing up and always trying to infiltrate the music business different ways. I finally found like a lane, which feels really good to me and is a certain thing and is part of the whole program, which is called the contemporary blues. And that's what we got nominated in the contemporary blues Grammy for with the juice. And it's my kind of like industry goal with this record, Philadelphia, Mississippi to win that category that category feels really uh, good to me because it's contemporary blues. So what does that mean? Well, it means yeah. blues and you do whatever you can do to, you know, to make it original oh, cool. and, and new. And, and that's yeah. what I've been doing my whole career. So yeah. why, you know, I'm not alternative yeah. rock. Maybe I'm alternative hip hop, but that's not even a thing. <laughs> where, where do you put us? Well, now we have a place, contemporary blues. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And the last thing we'll talk about before I let you go, how is fatherhood? You have, you have the brood with you today and it must, it's a different world doing the, doing the young fatherhood thing 
in your 40s as opposed to in your 20s or early 30s? Are you glad? Do you feel like you have some more wisdom doing this in your 40s as opposed to doing it when you were younger? Yeah, well, I will say that when my older son Aiden was born, um, that changed my life and brought what I needed, which was like a reason and a focus. And mm. when I boil it down, you know, I think about like, what you know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s and you're trying to, it's all kind of about you, your career, your love, trying to figure out who you are, what's this thing all about. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have a baby. And it's, oh, well, that's what it's all about. It's about taking care of before I get my shit together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when I had Aiden, I, um, and unfortunately it didn't work out with his mom and I, but like that also was like, I was like, well, whenever I don't have him, I'm going to focus so hard on my career um, to provide for him and, and the kind of life that I want to have for him. And then when I do have him, I'm going to be as completely present as I can. And so now fast forward in, you know, 20 years, he's 20 wow. starting over with, you know, uh, kind of a more stable relationship. I'm married now. We have three young boys, man. It's like the kids are everything. Wow. That's another part of the challenge. Like, you know, it's harder to leave home and tour and, um, but again, it still does give me that focus um, to try to just, you know, be an earner for my family. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, you, you realize like family, I think the older you get to, you realize like the family is like kind of the most important thing. Um, but again, you know, you, you have to, you have to like have that, you have to, you have to work whatever you do to, to, to to make it good for your family. So that that's what it's brought continues to bring me that focus when I'm not doing this. And I, I, I want to just thank and apologize to your listeners and you guys for being patient with me while I'm, <laughs> while I'm good. You know, it's, it's real life. It's are real life. Kids gonna be doing music. <laughs> well, you guys are very, very patient. Thank you. But um, yeah, you know, I'm saying like, it's, um, it's it's just a juggle you know i mean and it's a juggle now. yeah since you you got like the background vocalist dimmy's asking if if if, if they're if your kids are going to be musical yeah already put a guitar in their hands well aiden has aiden's a, an artist he goes by clear cola and he's like a sick like kind of i don't know like this kind of like dark film noir style instrumental hip-hop stuff he's also like he's super dope producer and he's a good drummer but it's interesting, like his he's he's 20, like I said, he's like now nah, he's going to school for architecture at Mass Art because he doesn't he doesn't see like to him the music is like it's kind of he was up brought in it and he doesn't see it as like a career. He thinks he sees it more of like a passion and a hobby, which is interesting because he's talented, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, um yeah, but music is it's it's always in the family and um, it's funny when the kids are like two and three, these guys come up on stage and play harmonica. And then when Lewis, who's now six, he's now kind of self-conscious. He doesn't come up on stage as much. <laughs> it's fun, man. It, it, it's, it's everything. I love, I love being a father. All right. Well, we will let you go. Thank you so much for joining us on this real Jordan and Demi. The new album is out in June and the new single love from philly and the music video 
an animated music video is out now. So check that out. Yeah. And I was just going to say, Jordan, real quick, uh, if anybody wants to find out more about what we're doing, you can hit me on Twitter at G love at Philly G love on Instagram, G love and special sauce on Facebook. And yeah, stay tuned. And, and the juice, ga- juice gang on discord. Uh, so if anybody want to tune in for the NFT release, um, all right, Demi, you, I'm gonna get you hip to this. Yeah, I need to get you converted <laughs> over here. NFT, you over here. <laughs> NFG, what? Come on. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, guys. Bye.